you, fake podcast music. Hello and welcome to Michigan and Other Mayhem, the show about Michigan, murder, mysteries, histories, and other random mayhem from around the world. Your hosts are Allie. And Jen. And Cade. And yeah, Cade is one of our guest podcasters this week. His mom, Brandy, did the Good Heart Murders a few episodes ago. And now we're going to have Kate tell us about... Global warming and uh, climate change. Sweet. And as a young person, I'm glad that you're concerned. Very. Yeah. Depressingly what... so. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> what about you, Jen? First, yeah. I just want to point out, yeah, we did the podcast on talking to Alexa. Yes. And I want to point out that you said that we don't do music on Piddly Podcast, but we do. Yeah, wait, didn't you say it was half and half? That's irrelevant right now. Okay. <laughs> out that there was music on the Piddly Podcast. On half of them, yeah. Okay, let's so point I, out, yeah, said, I wasn't consistent. No, no, I'm not pointing that out. Yeah. I'm pointing out the fact that you said to me, and I went back and I listened. I'm not pointing out, I don't care about consistency. I'm just pointing out that you said I was wrong and I was right. At least halfway right. Okay, I'll give it to you. Okay. I'll give it to you. Cole, I'm doing a cold case. Yeah. 1986 Wilda Wilkinson, Bangor, Michigan. Bangor, Michigan? Yeah. Okay. Where's that at? I, I believe it's in Van Buren, so I... Yeah, Van Buren? Is it South... Southwest. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're looking they at our hands. I don't know. Yeah, right they there. can't see you. Right yeah. there, I know, like, we're pointing out our hands. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was south, Southwest Michigan. Southwest. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. No, I have no idea. I'll have to look that I didn't look that up. All right. That's fine. Um, She was murdered. There was a robbery at her home, and she was found dead in her home. Wow. Then, fast forward to current, March 2019. They arrest a guy for it. Nice. Yeah. So, All but that journey, wow. that journey there is is very interesting. Okay. So, what do you have? Well, um, I saw this the title of this book, and it was called "Little Slaughterhouse on the Prairie," <laughs> and that was written by this dude named Harold Schechter. I think it's S C H E C H T E R, and it's this like true crime story that takes takes place at the same time as Little House on the Prairie. And I wanted to read it because it reminded me of my Aunt Kathy. And my Aunt Kathy loved the book and the, the books and the TV show for Little House mm-hmm. on the Prairie. Mm-hmm. And she loved true crime. And so I thought this would be perfect. And I had read about this, this the family that serial kills in this book. But I didn't know there was actually a Michigan connection. So this is a true story. Yeah, this hmm. is a true story. And I thought since my Aunt Kathy is actually Cade's grandma, I was like, I'll throw the grandma connection down with Cade. That's pretty go. cool. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Some of this, this is something your grandma would have liked, I promise. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Are you going to go first? You want me to go first? I was asking. No, I thought you were going to go first. Oh, well, I guess so. Let's do it. Let's do it. It's Wilda Wilkinson, 1986, robbery in her home, murdered. Wilda was found dead at her home by her daughter, July 1986. Oh, like, and how old is her daughter? Is she, like, an adult or a I teen or something? So, I couldn't find, like, original news articles on this this murder. Okay. Mm-hmm. I could only find recent things where they were talking about how they opened up the case, ultimately arrested someone in connection to it. Oh, okay. So, I don't know how old, but I do know she, uh, it said she had two daughters and two sons. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's all I know. So in 2010, Michigan State Police started reviewing the cold case. Because it went cold. So they had suspects. 
people of interest, but no evidence. So she was beaten to death in her house? Mm-hmm. Okay, and they know it was a robbery and yeah. a murder. Okay. Yeah. They didn't have any, like, physical evidence, nothing to tie anyone to the, to the murders. Mm-hmm. So they, in 2010, decided they were going to review all the suspects again. And then in March of this year, Michael Curry, age 51, was arrested in California and charged with felony murder in Van Buren County for the death of Wilda. Wow. So how'd they find him all these years later? Because I'm going to say it's a long time. So I have my notes. Yeah. And you know I have them numbered. Are you missing number four? I'm missing number two. Or number three. Oh, no, I see number three's down here. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'm a, you got I'm it a, down. Yep, I got it. Okay, I'm back at it. Michael lived near Wilda at the time of her death. Some news articles said they were neighbors. Some said he lived near her. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, a neighbor so might be right next to you, or it could be like a couple, you know, houses down. Across yeah. the street. Yeah. This is like three decades ago. Okay. Mm-hmm. Michael Curry wrote a confession and told the police he killed Wilda, but nothing was done because the police officer working the case said he didn't believe him. What? Wow. What? Yeah. Yep. I thought that was so strange. Wow. Didn't believe him. Supposedly he took lie detector tests. I think one of the things the police officer thought was that he didn't know enough. Mm -hmm. Like he wasn't giving enough detail of the crime. It made it like he wasn't. But he really was. He Well, supposedly he's charged with it. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the police moved on and worked other suspects, people that were related to her people that she knew and they continued to claim there were other suspects that they were looking at that could have done it there was one guy that was actually in prison for murder mm-hmm. so they point this out that there's a guy in florida that's related to her and he's in there for murdering somebody but i'm not sure how that can make it so that he murdered like how yeah, is he a suspect well, if trying he to say, was in well, prison? we know he's at least capable of murder maybe because he's in jail for murder now but maybe he wasn't at the time yeah. So there was an article talking to the prosecutor that claims that there was just not enough evidence to charge Michael Curry back then. Overall, Michael confessed to this murder. Okay. Four mm-hmm. times. Five, if you count when he was in prison. Michael was in prison. I'll get into that. He confessed to his cellmate. So this guy is kind of, is saying, Five hey, times he said, I killed hey, this woman. I killed yeah. this woman. As of March 22nd, the police will not talk about the new evidence they found and they actually exhumed Wilda's body and supposedly found something. Really? Like yep. more evidence on her or something? Yeah, which now they can charge this the, guy. The technology is way better now than it was back then. Yeah. Yeah, they so, didn't come up with DNA until the 90s. Right. And that was in 86. Mm-hmm. But I just want to point out through all this yeah. there, there has been the 90s the 2000s. That's true. And he has confessed throughout time. So, mm-hmm. so but at they, some point. But you said they just now exhumed her body. Yeah. Right? Like recently? They're, they're yeah. just not taking him serious, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. So I was looking into Michael. He's an interesting fellow. He was arrested in 1989, so three years later, mm-hmm. for attempted murder. He badly beat a man, called police, and said that he was the night stalker. And claimed he murdered his roommate in Bangor. He was sentenced to 10 to 30 years for assault and attempt to commit murder. He was actually released in 2017. So he's just released in 2017 somehow. Mm-hmm. Wait, so he already has an attempted yeah. murder on his charge on him? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think he did it, guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You you would think with that on his on his record, they would t- they would have taken him more seriously early on, right? Yeah. Yeah, like through three years mm-hmm. when it happened. Yeah. Like three years later, oh hey, whoa, you beat somebody. Then you called the police and said you were a night stalker, and they found him because they pinged his phone. Ah. Uh, so wow. and he was there with the beaten guy. Like it was, it was really weird story. Dang. But we have to continue to follow it. Yeah. Because now he's charged. Now we have to see what mm-hmm. new evidence and and follow that through. I think it's interesting. You get out of jail after all those that time. It's twenty seventeen. Now it's twenty nineteen, and you're back in for something you did a long time yeah. ago. Yeah. Yeah. Some people are just meant to stay in jail. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I think he did it. Well, he said he did it, and he beat his roommate and tried to murder him. So, and he beat, and she was beaten to death. Mm-hmm. So. I think it was a guy. Oh, she, yeah, yeah, she was beaten to death. Yeah, dang. What about you, Kate? What? Let's see. What's it? What's no, you, you can go next. Oh, you want to go next? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, Laura Ingalls Wilder is the lady that wrote the Little House on the Prairie books, mm-hmm. and she did the movie, the TV show too. So she wrote of two times that her dad stopped at the Bender Inn in Labette County, which is where these the serial ki- um, killer family lived, while on trips to neighboring town, and the, they used to call them the Bloody Benders in the newspaper. They were thought to be America's first serial killer family. So here's the story of the nefarious Bender family. In 1862, the Homestead Act granted 160 acres of public land to people free and clear after five years of residency in the prairie lands. So basically, cool. you get 160 acres mm-hmm. if you can just survive here for, ten, for five years. <laughs> all, right. So, all right. So that was all, all you had to do. In 1870, two of the benders, which we're going to forever refer to here as Pa Bender, even though they call him Old Man Bender in the book, and John Bender Jr., or we're just going to call him John, they mm-hmm. pull up in the town of Cherryville, Kansas and Pa Bender either had the first name we got John or William. No, we're just calling him Pa. Pa and John. Okay. Pa and John. John. Yes. Well, they everybody here has like eighty thousand aliases, and I'm just cutting it short right now. Yeah. So John Junior was a slender man in his late twenties, and they said he was like to have you know a nice face with a trim mustache, but he would break out in these high pitched like nervous giggle fits Hmm. that made people think that maybe he wasn't in complete control of his mental faculties. <laughs> okay. They thought he might be special. So, sorry. So, Pa Bender vir- uh, spoke virtually no English. He only spoke German, and he was described as burly with a heavy beard. And Pa was considered to have a pow- powerful frame, which a neighbor described as having, quote, like a gorilla. Where did mm-hmm. they come from? Germany. So they came from Germany to, to Kansas. To Kansas. Mm-hmm. And Pa Bender only spoke German. Yeah, very little yeah. English. Yep. Okay, and he was it. known for being tall with like hunched shoulders and being like, they said like a gorilla. Yep. Like a gorilla. Yes. Okay. So the men rode in an unusual shaped wagon, which the rear axle was noticeably bigger than the front. I thought, yeah, that does sound like a contraption that's about yeah. to get you killed. <laughs> <laughs> so the Bender men chose a track of land that was near the Westward Trail and... By the area's only thoroughfare. So there's a singular road around here, and that's it, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and they opened a small grocery store in an inn. And I was like, oh, really? But the grocery store, and I shit you guys not, is a maybe a two-foot, three-foot plank of wood on a counter with some cans on it. Okay. 
Yeah. So the land had a tiny apple orchard, like nine to twelve, nine to twelve trees, and only three other residencies were in the within sight of their place. Because remember, everybody has one hundred and sixty acres, and one house you can only see like their roof off in the distance. So everything's really isolated. And they built their inn slash residence as a single room dwelling that was sixteen by twenty four feet small. So that's like less than four hundred square feet. Mm-hmm. And the building was their so less than four hundred square feet. Mm-hmm. Their living quarters, the tiny counter of a grocery store, and it's their inn. And they had a dining table where your meals were supplied. And then when you're done eating, they would move the table. You lay down on the floor. Boom. The you're sleeping inn. in an inn. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So not exactly kind of ingenious. Not highfalutin. <laughs> well, it's you know Japanese. Uh, Back, back in, like, the feudal era, they, yeah. they would have the, you sleep on the floor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this is, though, a dirt floor. Yeah. Yeah, so not... Not the, a wood floor. Not quite the polished wood <laughs> floor of the Japanese feudal area. Yeah, era. I mean, so they built their... Oh, yeah, so they had a shallow cellar, and there was a slab of sandstone that was about 49 square feet, and that was the cellar floor. It made up the floor. And there was a wooden trapdoor leading down to the cellar with like a bootstrap for a handle. And the two men dug a well and they built some areas for livestock so that travelers could use the area to water and shelter their horses, right? John Jr. John Jr. made a sign and hung it over the front door. It said grocery in black letters. Only he's forgot the E, so it's grow cry. <laughs> so, yeah, so they had a wagon cover that hung up as a partition. Set between the space where you would eat and then their home space. Because remember, they lived there too. <laughs> in that 400-foot yeah. Yeah, yeah. area. So, And then the women arrive. So the women are Ma Bender. She sometimes goes by Kate Sr. She sometimes goes by Elizabeth. We're going to call her Ma. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And, uh, oh, yeah, they also said her name could be Elvira. <laughs> uh, yeah, but we're calling That's her That's a Ma. different name. Yes. So she's described as pale with a temper that's just as shitty as her husband's because he has a really bad temper. And she also only spoke German with just a tiny bit of English. And then there was their daughter, Kate Bender. And Kate was described like a lot of different ways because the story of their family became like really sensationalized. And a lot of people agreed that she was a young woman with auburn hair who was kind of pretty. Although one person did describe her as looking like a dirty witch, but that wasn't normal. How <laughs> old is she? Maybe she was. They were guessing like in her twenties, maybe late teens, early twenties. So I want to talk about. Here's a side note. At one point, this the author's talking about how Kate and John might not have been their biological children, and maybe they were just four people who knew each other. Maybe some of them were stepchildren. Maybe Kate belonged to her mom and John belonged to the dad, but they didn't have any children together. So there are all of the speculation. And at one point, they're speculating that Kate and John Jr. are having sex together, that they know each other too intimately. Now, that's not even the part that got me going. The part that got me going is like the historian. They reference this this historian that's like, oh, back in the day on the prairie, because of the distances between people, it wasn't uncommon for siblings to know each other intimately. Mm. Is that why we have laws? <laughs> because we got because you won't stop yourself, we got to stop you. Um, so more on Kate is she had a reputation for dabbling in the occult. She went by the professional name of Professor Miss Kate Vander, and she claimed to have the ability to cure a, ra- a wide range of illnesses. Kate worked as a medium who gave lectures. Your favorite, oh, you know, your favorite occupation. Favorite. 
in spiritualism and she sold good luck charms and love potions. And Kate was believed to be the family's primary income. So That couldn't have been too smiled upon back then. No, but, well, now we're out in the prairies. You'll do whatever you want to keep your cow from dying. Right. You know what I mean? So by May of 1871, there were two boys that were out fishing and they found a dead body laying face down and half buried by a local creek. And he was identified as William Jones. He was a stonemason who had gone missing a few weeks earlier. William's throat was cut and his skull had been crushed. And he had been on his way to a neighboring county to lay claim on his own land. And he was said to have been carrying a hefty sum of money, which was now not on his dead body. So he's dead, money's gone. Mm-hmm. So this next clue that they talked about being at the scene made me think it was part of the sensationalized story after it happened, you know, when people get all jacked up about what happened. They said that there was a set of tracks, wagon tracks near the body that showed the real axle was a lot wider than the front, which is what we know is the bender wagon. But then why didn't somebody... Talk to the vendors then about a dead body. Yeah. So I think that was one of those, somebody, after the fact, said it was that way. By January of 1872, during a blizzard, now, I just want to say, back in the day, you'd go by your husband's name. So I would be like Mrs. Michael King. Mm-hmm. This woman, unfortunately, we go by, went by her husband's name. So Mrs. Leroy Dick. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Both, both Leroy and Dick. God, <laughs> yeah. Looked out of her window to see this wagon struggling in the snow. This is during a blizzard. And she could see that there were two men in the driver's bench. And one even got down to adjust the horse's equipment within her sight. And she recognized Pa and John Bender. And they lived about four miles away. And when her husband came back from the barn, um, she told him that what she saw, because the two were heading away from their house in the middle of a blizzard. And, like, why would you do that? You know, Right. Okay. A month later, during Thaw, the bodies of two men were found dumped in the prairie. The bodies were less than 20 miles away from where William Jones's body was found. Their throats were cut and their skulls had been bashed in. Maybe they had to go somewhere uh-huh. to get something for their grocery store. <laughs> You're right. Sometimes the counter is hard to fill. Yeah. All three feet of space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in the next year, nine men traveling through Labette County by themselves went missing. Eight of them are William McCrotty, John McGreary, and an elderly bachelor named Johnny Boyle. Each were carrying about two to three thousand dollars on him. Benjamin Brown had just a little bit of cash on him, but he was driving a nice wagon and he had a healthy team of sorrel horses that had new gear on them. An Irish laborer named Alonzo Sconce and a man named Jack Bowley and Henry McKenzie were known to have no money at them on the time of their disappearance. So people wondered what's up with that. Mm-hmm. George Longcore may or may have not had any cash on him. He was traveling with his infant daughter after his wife had died in child labor. And George was traveling back to live with his parents to help raise her. Before leaving his parents, George, for his parents' house, George had made a deal with his friend, Dr. William York, to receive a proper wagon for the trip. So not long after George and his daughter left, they ran into a blizzard and they took shelter with this widow. And the widow was the last person to see the two of them alive, George and his daughter. So Dr. York, who gave him the wagon, he went to, uh, oh, he ended up being the one that ended up finding George's belongings. So Dr. William York left his home to go visit his brother, Colonel Alexander York, at Fort Scott. And when the doctor arrived at a nearby town, he heard rumors of a wagon and a team that had been abandoned nearby. Mm -hmm. And the two horses were still attached to the wagon and had nearly starved to death. So Dr. York goes to look at the wagon and realizes it's the one that George and his 
daughter had borrowed from him. So now they're missing. So Dr. York travels on and he stays with his brother, Colonel York. And Dr. York then leaves um, home riding a good horse and carrying a lot of money on him. And the last person to see Dr. York alive was a shopkeeper um, that had sold him some, some cigars after he left. Okay, after he left. So Dr. York had told the shopkeeper that he planned to stay at the Bender Inn. Inn, I'll air quote. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the Colonel York, would, who would later establish a newspaper and he would become a U.S. senator, learns from his sister-in-law that his brother never made it home. So Colonel York sets up a search posse, and they find their way to the Bender Inn. John Jr. is outside, and he's reading a German Bible, and he says that he does remember the doctor coming, but that the doctor left. He didn't stay. He just ate and left. And John Jr. suggests that maybe a gang of outlaws overtook him. And so the posse goes to where the supposed ambush site was, and they don't find anything. They don't find extra horse tracks. Doesn't look like there was a struggle there, so they come back. When the posse gets back to the inn, it's Kate that greets them at the door. And the men in the party had heard about her psychic abilities, uh, and they ask her if she can help find Dr. York. Now, unfortunately, she said that there were too many non-believers present, and the spirits were reluctant to help. Yeah, but Kate insists that the colonel come back to the inn alone, and she can help him. But the colonel doesn't go back, because, thank God, I don't think he'd survive a second visit. No, not by himself. Oh, no. He doesn't say, when a serial killer is like, come back by yourself, it's never a good sign, right? So early the next month, the local men of the county decide to have an emergency meeting. So they have three dead bodies with similar um, injuries and nine missing men. And it's a dangerous time, and this is a dangerous place, you know, out in the prairie, but these numbers are uncommon even for the area. So they're worried their community is receiving a bad reputation. The townspeople decide to search every homestead between two areas in which they feel people are missing from. And that would include the Bender place, the search would. So the two Bender men who are in attendance at the meeting, they just quietly leave the meeting and go home. About uh, nearly a week later, about 10 miles from the Bender Inn, this dude named Charles Nelson found a dilapidated wagon that had been abandoned by its owner. There were two starving horses that were still hitched to the rear of the vehicle, and a Scottish terrier was hiding underneath the um, wagon. The wagon had been damaged from being too heavily loaded. And lying on the bottom of the uh, wagon was a board with the words grocery painted on them, but spelled grow cry. So this, they think this is the Bender wagon, right? Three weeks after the wagons discovered, in the beginning of May, a man named Silas Tolls was riding past the Bender Inn when he noticed that it looked abandoned. So Silas notifies Leroy Dick, the guy with the awesome name, who was a trustee in town. It's uh, And then Mr. Dick contracts Colonel York and the Colonel and the posse arrive. So everyone goes to the Bender Inn. They found some household items that were still in the house and still in place, but most were gone. And the family had left their German Bible behind. And like most Bibles at the time, it had birth and death records of their family members in the pages. And they also had other inscriptions, including dates accompanied by the word Slay Day, S-L-A-G-H. And they believed it referred to Slaughter Day or Kill Day. The inn itself stank. I mean, so bad that the guys at one point dismantled the house. It smells so bad. And the worst stench seems to come from a hatch in the floor. So right behind the curtain. So they lift the hatch up and they literally have to leave the house. They tear the house down. They go back and the stone slab is covered with blood 
that's coagulated. You know, so this is just nasty old mm-hmm, blood. Mm-hmm. And they broke down the floor, and there's even more blood underneath the stone. So it just, like, seeped through and around the stone. This is, um, Colonel York then decides to get up on a wagon, and he's, like, surveying the land. And he says, like, look, I think that there's an irregular thing there. It could be a grave. So they walk over to the groove by the apple trees, and they start digging. And they're able to dig up a clump of human hair, like, right away. And it's followed by the naked corpse of a man. The man's throat had been cut and his skull had been crushed. And the neck wound was so deep that his head fell off when they tried to pick his body up. And the corpse was Dr. William York, identified by his brother, Colonel York, at the scene. So, right? So now they know something's up with the benders. The posse, led by Colonel York, get whipped up and they're just, they've gone crazy over the discovery. And they go back to this trading post proprietor that had befriended the Bender family. And they hung this dude, Rudolph Brockman, three times, almost killing him. They just kept hanging him and saying, like, oh, are you going to confess? And then dropping him down right before he, like, passes out. And this upsets, like, the other half of town who's not half crazed. Um, they're like, you know, oh, he's supposed to, this Brockman guy's a good guy. Like, what are you doing? You're stringing him up because he knows the benders. And it just, like, divides the people right away. Here's a little side note. At the time... Colonel York's sadistic behavior was seen as out of character. Remember, he owns a newspaper. He's going to become a U.S. senator. But 23 years later, after this, he is convicted of torturing his 16-year-old daughter to death. And I tried to find more info on so that. he's a murderer, too. Yes. And I tried to find more info on that, but it is so hard to look up information from Kansas papers in the 1800s, let me just say. <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't. So, back to the Bender family. The following day, eight more male bodies are found buried on the property. All of the men had crushed skulls and slit throats, while some of them had been castrated. The worst was George Longcore's 18-month-old daughter, who was found in her dad's grave. She had been buried alive. Oh. They threw in an 18-month-year-old into a grave and then just threw dirt on her. I know. It just hurt my heart. So messed up. Monsters. So the Bender... Okay, so here is the Bender family serial killer procedure. They're guessing, right? So they'd have their male guests come into the inn and sit at the table for dinner with their back to the sheet. And then a male bender would be hiding behind the curtain waiting for the guests to sit back. And once they did, they'd be hit on the head with a hammer crushing their skull. Then the victim would be laid back over the cellar door and have their throat cuts bleeding them out onto the cellar floor. Or their body would be thrown into the cellar and down there someone would cut their throat. And then the benders would strip the body of clothing and money and then either dump the body or bury it. Uh, The townspeople and parties literally go off in all four directions looking for the benders. The benders become big news in the nation's newspapers. Yeah. Earlier, their horses and dog. For one of their wagons. For one of their wagons was found. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they had another wagon. Yes. Okay. And another and so you think they just like left that there so people would think that they... Well, the axle broke. Um, it looked like it had been weighted. The one guy that but found... But it wasn't a setup to make people believe that they were murdered. Oh, no, it didn't look like they were murdered. It looked like they overweighed it when it, the axle broke. They left the car, the wagon behind with some shit in it and just kept going. Yeah. So it's big news. It's in all the papers, but nobody can find them. They, they have like a three-week start on everybody. Mm. You know what I mean? And so they must have done a good job using it. There was a $5,000 reward for information leading to their arrest issued by the governor of Kansas. And Colonel York also put up a $1,000 reward of his own. And people were being questioned everywhere. And I'm telling you, they're locking up potential benders left and right. This is like 
this isn't an era where we don't need evidence. We just lock up people like, he, she seems crazy. A witch hunt. Yes. <laughs> so literally, it's like that. In 1889, 16 years after the discovery of the bodies, a wealthy woman named Frances McCann had a nightmare that she had seen a woman slicing a man's throat in a cellar. And she told her friend, Sarah Davis, who was a washerwoman, about the nightmare. So Sarah told Frances... Okay, so now Sarah, let me just say, Sarah the washerwoman's an asshole. She tells Frances <laughs> that it wasn't a nightmare, but a recalled memory. Frances had been orphaned at an early age, and Sarah the washerwoman tells Frances that her biological mother was named Elizabeth or Elvira Bender. So she's Ma Bender. And that Sarah was actually Frances's aunt. She's like, I'm not just a washerwoman, I'm your aunt. And then she's, Sarah then tells Frances a story about how her mother had married a man, Frances's mother, making her sister Kate jealous. And that Kate and Ma Bender tripped the man on the cellar steps and then followed him down and cut his throat and that she saw it as a baby. So this made Frances believe that her biological grandmother was Ma Bender. And Sarah is like confirming it like, yes, she is. You know, I'm one of her daughters. So sh shortly after her revelations, Sarah moves to Niles, Michigan. And Frances believed that knowing Sarah was a bender would lead her to the rest of the benders. So Frances is like, I'm going to follow Sarah and find the rest of the benders. And then um, Sarah might even actually be Kate Bender, maybe pretending like she's Kate's sister instead. And I'll get the reward money mm -hmm. and I can avenge my father's death, right? That's what Frances is thinking. And she, like, channels her inner private eye and is following around Sarah and Sarah's mother, Elmira. She's following them everywhere around in Michigan. Okay. She convinces Michigan police that the two women are the benders. They finally contact Kansas. Like, we believe we found the two bender women. Mm -hmm. Leroy Dick. Yes, him again. Who is now a special deputy sheriff. Pops up in Michigan and takes the two women into custody and brings them back to Kansas. And the whole trial involves, literally the whole trial, is two sets of eyewitnesses. One set says, yes, those are definitely the Bender women. And the other set says, no, it's not. There is no other evidence. It is just unreliable eyewitnesses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So things are literally not looking good for these women. It is not looking good until they, this court records come to Kansas from Ionia, Michigan. Ionia County, Michigan. It confirms that Elmira was in a correction facility in Detroit during the time of the murders. She had been locked up for committing abortion. And the women were given one-way tickets back to Michigan. It's considered case closed. Sarah is just a pathological liar. Frances has nothing to do with the benders. Mm -hmm. So throughout the years, there are tons of stories of people who narrowly escape the benders in. You know, all the cowboys are like, I went there myself. But I realized something was wrong, so I didn't stay. Like, you know, everybody, like, outsmarted them or fought them off or something. And there was also a ton of people telling stories like, yeah, my posse caught up to the benders and we killed them and we buried them. Well, no one will ever will find them again. And we agreed not to talk about it, you know. There's a lot of those stories. Like, so many people killed the benders, you know, or almost died by them. Mm -hmm. So Laura Ingalls Wilder even gets into it. She said that her dad went out after the posse came to get him. And that the next day, um, later the next day, her dad came back and said, um, you know, and would say after that, if the, you know, if anybody asks, the Benders will never be found. Like, they found them and killed them. I was, my first thought was, wait, the Benders have a three-week start on them, and in less than 24 hours, they catch up to them, 
kill them and get back home? Like what? Like how far did they not go? They found out. Re- scholars recently like did all the math, and they're able to figure out that the Benders were actually serial killers in Kansas two years after the Ingalls had left the prairie to move to Wisconsin. So, <laughs> so Laurel Ingalls, well, they're just like everybody else had false memories. So this actually made me want to do. I want to do what my next one on false, you know, eyewitness testimony. Oh, because of false idea. memories, mm-hmm. false memories, yeah, a ton. All right, so now, many. Do you feel ready now, Kate? Uh, I guess. Okay. No, no choice not being ready. All right. Or no point. Yeah. I guess global warming. Yeah. Uh, climate change. Yeah. Uh, the science behind it paints a really, really grim terrible picture yes. for our future outlook as of right now yeah. and what we're on pace for right yeah so right now we're at about 1.1 degrees celsius of global warming uh-huh. uh as studied by the uh what's it called the european union or uh-huh. the uh i don't know okay <laughs> people uh, do weather the people that do weather okay and, <laughs> and climates and stuff okay uh, uh, oh it's going to the uh not the united kingdom the uh United Nations. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Nations. Yep. Two degrees Celsius is is catastrophic. Okay. And that's and we're at one point one percent now. We're on pace by I think something as soon as twenty thirty to twenty fifty. Okay. Um we're on pace for four degrees Celsius of global warming. So a lot of dying. So a lot like like uh equatorial countries yeah. and um island countries, yeah. genocide. Okay. People won't be able to because live the, in like parts of what what's it called India. Okay. Because um, the tides are going to rise and they're going to disappear, right? That not way. just one. Well, yes, too that's hot? true. Okay. Uh, not just the tides. It's going to be too hot in the summer. Okay. Yeah, it's going to get upwards to 130 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. Uh, plus oh humidity. God. Plus humidity. Yeah. See, the plus humidity will kill you. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> we know that's who It won't well. just make your hair frizzy. It'll make you want to kill yourself. Yeah. Yep. And, like, uh, in, it actually affects every aspect of life, right? Yeah. So, rich, poor, doesn't matter who you are. Like, the California wildfires. Yeah. It's been destroying tons of rich people's homes. And yeah, you're like, rich people can get caught up in mm-hmm. natural disasters, too, yep. right? Yeah, everyone. Yeah. They, they catch... Mother Nature's hands. Yeah. Right? Right? <laughs> when Mother so, Nature throws bones, everybody catches it, right? Ev- literally, everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you, and it's like, it's perspective though, right? Okay. Oh, a, a more uh, non-well-off person. Okay. In uh, low-income houses. Yeah. Uh, low-income areas. Yeah. Will really struggle with with climate change. It'll, it could flip the world upside down. Maybe more well-off people are going to be, you know, all right. Because they'll have, like, say someone lives in California. They're well off. Goal warming's happening. They can't live in California anymore because it gets too hot in the summer. Yeah. Or or the, you know, I think water level is supposed to rise by something crazy like 480 feet. Damn. Yeah. So yeah. goodbye, New York? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, pretty much, yeah. Uh, it's, it's goodbye, Florida. And no more New keys. York. Oh, there goes mom and dad's home. Yeah. Uh, so Michigan's going to be uh, Houston's waterfront? Gonna be, Houston's going to be gone. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're, we're probably going to be something tropical. But... We could stand we're, we're, some tropical, although... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it snowed today, so... And, and you, think, you think that's all right, but... 
But it's about that time that some places in the world will be able to be hit by six different natural disasters at the same time. Dang. So That's what they say why we have more um, issues with hurricanes lately. Mm-hmm. Michigan just got, just got uh, tornadoes. Well, actually, a few years ago, maybe I think it was three or four years ago, we had a tornado in Michigan on Christmas Eve. Oh, that that's was, crazy. That was new. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And and it's it's even, you know, it's of course it's going to affect wildlife. So many extinct animals. Oh, yeah. So many. It affects religion. People of the Muslim faith won't be able to attend Mecca. Uh, It'll be too hot. Uh, they won't be able to. Mecca. Yeah. Uh, it's where they uh, pray. They, they it's pray. the motherland. Mm-hmm. Their whole, their whole holy land. They go there and ev- like, what is it every year? Yeah, yeah. Well, if you can, it won't be at least once your life. Mm-hmm. It'll be too hot to, for you to go there. It's like a, it's almost like a rite of passage, I think, or something like that. Yeah. I can't, I can't say I'm too familiar with. The, I never really looked into. That's fine. Tell yeah. us what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, oh no, no, no. Okay, I stand correct. It's 260 feet of sea level rise. So, okay. Yeah, it's still a lot. Yeah. Uh, the the climate damage by the, uh, that point, uh, about twenty thirty to twenty fifty, will cause six hundred trillion da- uh, million dollar or not million <laughs> yeah. six hundred trillion dollars in climate damage, which is double the current uh, worldwide wealth. So we're saying, I mean, you're saying like climate damage. You mean because of like natural disasters, we'll have to pay out money. Natural disasters, uh, cities that. Because oh, food maybe can't grow in areas mm-hmm. where it used to because now it doesn't rain there. It's yep. too high. This, it's it's going to affect every economy in the world, probably. Okay. Um, America probably won't be too affected by it because of where we're at in, you know, we're kind of more no- a more northern country uh-huh. compared to, like, Mexico yeah. or all, you know, everything in that span between the South America and North America. Yeah. But it'll still affect, you know, it'll still affect all of our cities that are going underwater. Yeah. Or, you know... Anything that's a coastal town now will be inside the coastal town. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but the, the global GDP will actually be uh, 20 to 30% worse, which is double as bad as the... Uh, 30% worse is double as bad as the Great Depression. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so it's going to get that bad. Do you have any good news about I do. Yeah. I do. Okay, I, was, yeah, I, was, yeah, I, was I was about to get to that. Hit me uh, with some good news. I, I like to be an optimistic person, the glass half full kind oh, of guy. So I threw in one good fact. I'll need it. Okay. David Keith from Harvard, he had, uh, he's, uh, I think, a Harvard professor or something, okay. uh, tested a carbon removal. By the way, carbon is, you know, it's a big... Bad thing. Bad thing. The human carbon footprint is out of this world, yeah. and we're tearing our world literally a new hole Yeah, in the ozone layer. We're um, it a new hole. Yeah. <laughs> he tested a carbon removal at the cost of $100 per ton of carbon okay. uh, removed. So with uh, to totally neutralize ca- our carbon footprint, we need uh, three trillion dollars per year. Which well, we're screwed. No, well, actually, it's uh, <laughs> right? it's that's about the worldwide wealth right now. No, 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 no. no. Uh, three hundred trillion is yeah. about the world worldwide uh, wealth. Wealth. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, we have the tools that we need to fix this. We really do. But we would need a uh, global movement on the scale of World War II to be able to even put it down. So we're screwed. So we're screwed. Were, yeah, yeah. I said hit me with some yeah. yeah. I did. <laughs> no, but, but, but the so thing is... The only way it's going to work, this is America. Mm-hmm. Someone's got to be able to make money somehow. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> interesting die. thing about, about America being a big player... Is that uh, since you know uh, I don't really like to spew political views, 
But, um, you know, Donald Trump isn't exactly for... Environmentally environment. friendly? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, some, like, his, his competitors or people that don't like him, like mm-hmm. China's ruler, mm-hmm. he, he might take, even though China is the leading global the carbon f- footprint, yeah. they're actually starting to take a lot of necessary steps towards what they need to do to accomplish a good, you know, green se- ecosystem. Okay. Yeah, it's expensive, but we, we kind of need to do it. Well, you if know? we can create jobs or make money for somebody in some way, mm-hmm. then it'll be okay in America. We can do it. We just got to be able to find a way to make some money off it or nobody will do it. We got to find a common ground that everyone agrees to. And I don't think I don't think this situation gets a lot of uh, recognition, yeah. especially in the mainstream media. People like to sugarcoat it. Okay. And, you know, I'm not sugarcoating it right now, well, obviously. Well, some people <laughs> don't believe in it, too. I know. And it's crazy to think that. When you have all these credible sources and, and sciences actually, like, giving you proof. Right. Uh-huh. Well, I was in the Girl Scouts back in the 80s, and um, they were really big on the environment stuff. So I've recycled since, uh, like, 89, 90. Mm-hmm. I used to recycle papers. But my sister, Poppy, we call her the Earth Mother. Mm-hmm. If you want to do a good job recycling, model yourself after her. She'll go a whole month without using any plastic products. She'll do um, take jars to the store, to bulk stores, so that mm-hmm. there's no um, garbage to throw out afterwards. Because really, when you recycle, have you seen those videos? I know. And recycling, you're really not recycling. Oh, everything is okay. so saddening. Even and, recycling is not that great. And there was, I watched a video on fast fashion. Mm-hmm. And how when you send the stuff to Purple Heart and the Goodwill, it really ends up in another country... And it's just like all these clothes, bundles of clothes sitting mm-hmm. around. You're you're not really recycling. Well, even doing well, that's even doing what you can, right? It's better than just throwing it straight in the garbage. And we do a garage sale every year. I think that's helpful. But yeah, it is so hard to do to do really well. And it, you know, it's kind of a depressing thought that you know, just because you know one person here or another person there, not enough people are. Taking the steps. Well, as long as I would say, as long as somebody tries. Yeah. Um, Because it's easy to say, "Oh, it's hopeless and not do anything." Because, like mm -hmm. my cousin Jay, he carries around a straw with him, Mm -hmm. so he doesn't do plastic straws anymore. Mm -hmm. There's little things you could do. Yeah, and um, California is about to ban the use of completely ban the use of plastic straws, right? Yeah. I think I just read that somewhere. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe people don't believe because with health. So don't eat eggs because they cause this. And then six months later, it's you need to eat more eggs. Right? Mm -hmm. And this is, yeah, they're reputable scientists that have proved this. But then you, they're looking at it as, well, look at what you told me to eat. Right. And now I shouldn't be eating that. Well, we don't question anything, but I just say, why not, if, if, why not try just in case it is a bad thing, right? In case they are right, why not try? Yeah, that's true. I mean, right now I'm sitting here thinking like, one, I need to like get solar panels because I'm not going to have electricity. Yeah, you might want to learn about that. And two, I need to sit down with you and you need to tell me where (laughs) in the world I should be moving when I retire. We need to build a windmill in your back. Somewhere in Canada would probably be preferable. Somewhere in Canada. Detroit is more northern than um, than Ontario, Canada. No, I meant like somewhere north, like in Alberta. I'd like like you mean go to Montreal. Probably, yeah. Okay. It'd be it'd be probably equivalent to Mich- current Michigan weather instead of the 
I want, I, imagine, I want a little bit know. warmer than Grand Michigan by the time I stay down here. <laughs> so I did, oh, wow, I'm just causing all kinds of havoc over mm -hmm. here in the corner. So I read an article, because I knew we were doing global warming, and mm -hmm. I had to figure out, like, who's getting murdered. Right. Yeah. I have to tie it to murder. So I read an article in the New York Post. It was called Global Warming is Making More People Kill Themselves. Stanford University scientists say global warming is causing more people to commit suicide. They believe abnormal hot temperatures affect mental health and prompts the suicide. They say 21,000 deaths could occur over the next three years in U.S. and Mexico because of global warming. They did recognize, though, that their study failed to account for other factors like unemployment yeah. and, and mm -hmm. things like that. Well, that was crazy. Well, they do. They they did do a study once, and maybe we should look that up. Where um, violence goes up when it's like a heat wave, during heat waves mm -hmm. that the instances of violence go up. And um, I've actually read a couple of Stephen King novels off of that, where he talks about you know people just losing their mind. You've been hot for day, you know, fifteen. You're sweating balls. It's two o'clock in the morning, and you just lose your stuffing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. And uh, yeah. about that, you know, the the death toll thing. Not only will those people, you know, commit suicide, what well, you said, 21,000. Yeah. That's uh, it's a pretty high number. But, um, like, going back to the 2030 to 2050 time range, uh -huh. uh, it could be close to 200 million people is about the, the, the best case scenario. Uh -huh. Or 200 million, I think it was. Yeah, 200 million people um, is the best case scenario to be either it's like a genocide or displaced uh -huh. and then the high end would be about one billion people wow one seventh of from the water the rising water water rising heat rising uh -huh. so you know so they have to move to mm -hmm. a more habitable area yeah yeah like big cities like dubai won't won't even exist anymore All right you know russia's gonna become a very big hot spot okay for people. yeah it'll be nice weather there. so like when people move from michigan to florida they acclimate to that temperature. Mm -hmm. You don't think humans can acclimate to well, what if, like, 40 degrees Well, say weather? it goes up 10 degrees. Like, maybe the plants in that area will die because they're not supposed to be in... Okay, I'm not talking about no... But how are you no going to live food. there? I'm not talking about the details. I'm oh. just saying, can't somebody... Somebody has to survive. Well, in retrospect... Somebody's going to survive and then rule the world. Humans, humans are going to... I believe humans are going to find a way to survive, obviously is in human nature to survive adapt yeah yeah to whatever kind of thing happens it's also like it's going to become inhospitable you won't be able to be outside during it's going to be in inhospitable in, hospitable yeah. in, getting my words inhospitable inhospitable for uh humans to be able to survive outside in the weather like 130 degrees. You know what about. we would do? So we would do like we did in the old days and just take a siesta during those times. <laughs> so does that, this like really means I need to start growing like food plants in my home. You might want to. I can't even grow a house plant. True. You might want to. I yeah, but humans, like, die. humans are highly adaptable. You can easily, probably easily learn how to plant tomatoes and I, veggies I, and. I killed almost every plant i've ever owned i killed a cactus for god's sake that's, that's if your life depended on it you would figure out that's what they have youtube for you know uh, you people won't learn have how to YouTube. do everything on youtube <laughs> <laughs> all right you guys have been listening to michigan other mayhem with Allie and jen and Cade. connect with us at michiganothermayhem.com to join the conversation listen to the podcast access show notes find site links or correct us when necessary 
Rate and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Anchor, and YouTube. Bye-bye now.